This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to this episode of the Worth Your Time podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Audrey Scagnelli, an old friend of mine from back in the day when I worked on Capitol Hill. But Audrey is doing all kinds of cool stuff these days. Right now, she is the founder and kind of the leader of a new platform called Sanity Media. And that's a place where you're going to hear from moderates, from liberals, conservatives, and even people who aren't political. Basically, Audrey has a goal of uniting people on common ground, um, having civil conversations, getting people together that may not agree, but recognizing that we all are still human beings, we have good intentions behind what we do, and that we still can um, have conversations and share in a love of one another, even when we're not always on 100% the same page. I love what she's doing with Sanity. If you know me, you know this is right up my alley. Enjoy this conversation with Audrey. Well, hey, everyone. I'm so glad you're here for the Worth Your Time podcast today. And I'm talking with Audrey Scagnelli. She is the founder of Sanity Media. Um, But this is not her first venture. Audrey and I actually met back when we were working in the Republican Leadership Office on Capitol Hill. Um, And she has done a lot of kind of fun entrepreneurial things since then, um, Audrey, can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now? What is Sanity? And then um, I would also love to hear about some of those other ventures that you um, kind of went into, the cooking magazine and all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> I have lots of passions, food, food and politics being uh, being one and two, though depending on the day, don't ask me which one's one and, and which one is two. I know. I'm trying to imagine like a food and politics magazine. I'm like, could that go together? I don't know. <laughs> Sort of food policy, but that's not quite the same. Oh yeah, that's true. Food policy. Then you're dealing with like people that want to ban all the ingredients and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I I this fall launched a platform called Sanity. It's a little tongue in cheek. Our logo is an ostrich with his head in the sand, and the entire goal of it is to spotlight voices that are trying to bridge some of the worsening divides that we're seeing, not just in our, in our political environment, but really in everyday life. So it's, it's in podcast form and some of the guests have been moderate members of Congress who are active in the problem solvers caucus. Some have been uh, more progressive activists like Joan Blades who founded MoveOn.org, but then founded living room conversations, which is a group that, brings together people with different viewpoints into a living room style conversation to try to find some empathy and and common ground. Um, And then some people are not political at all, like a woman named Shelly DeProto, who lives in uh, Old Saybrook, Connecticut, and owns a restaurant called The Red Hen. And The Red Hen may sound familiar because Sarah Huckabee Sanders was asked to leave an entirely unaffiliated different Red Hen restaurant in Virginia. And that experience caused Shelly and her restaurant in Connecticut to see their Yelp rating plummet, to receive threats, but also to see, receive a, a huge outpour of community support 
from from people she knew and people she didn't at all. And she kind of took the high road in how she navigated this very strange, very post-2016 world uh, crisis. Uh, so, so sanity is really an effort to try to help people who feel sometimes like they want to pull their head out of their hair out of their head in our world today and say, no, there really are some really incredible, positive, energetic people who are using their own unique skill sets that they have in life to try to contribute towards this bigger picture goal of reducing some of the, um, the partisan divides that, um, that I think have really reached an unhealthy level. Yeah. And you, I looking at some of your materials and things that you say, you talk about like post 2016 and 2016 changed everything. And in a way it does feel like 2016 was such a turning point for everyone. It was so unexpected what happened and it really divided people on many levels, not just Republicans, but Democrats too. I mean, people were divided between Bernie and Hillary. And then on the Republican side, they were divided between, you know, everybody and everybody. <laughs> and and then in the Christian world, which is where I spend a lot of my time, there was a lot of division on the Trump issue there. And so we came out of election night 2016. I think we were all just a bit disoriented, like what just happened? Um, and then those divisions and those mean things that people said to one another we realize that we still have to look at each other. We realize that we actually do have to move forward together as a country. So, um, you know, and you've worked in politics in the past. Um, how do, how are you affected by the 2016 election? And how did you see it? How do you see it having affected our electorate overall in this country? Well, I, I learned a lot in 2015 and 2016. And some of it was some of my takeaways from those those two years are incredibly optimistic and wonderful, and some are are kind of quite the opposite. So I I worked on the campaign trail for Carly Fiorina, and then at the end for John Kasich, and spent a lot of time in Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina, and really loved getting to know people from all walks of life that I encountered while, while working in, in press and communications, uh, supporting these candidates. And then, um, I then moved to Cleveland, Ohio and worked as the uh, national spokesperson for the, uh, the convention, the GOP convention. And that was an eye opening experience. I worked with a great team, uh, grew a lot. It was the second largest media event in, in the world, that year. So it was, um, quite, quite the, uh, experience and there were so many moving pieces, but through it all, I, um, I kind of felt like I was living, there were, there were two levels of life taking place. There was the level on the ground in terms of meeting people and hearing people's stories. And then there was the, what is the national dialogue look like? What is the conversation? What's the takeaway from what's happening in this kind of visceral uh, campaign? And um, on the in, in kind of the first perspective, I, I, I like to share, I had a couple of um, really awful things happen on the campaign trail, but the way that Complete Strangers helped me just taught me so much about humanity and decency. So uh, one of the things was I was staying in a, uh, a motel in Iowa and when I was working for, uh, for Carly Fiorina's 
team and there was a shooting at the motel Hmm. and it was late at night. It was maybe one o'clock in the morning or so. And, um, I had been doing my best to try to work out a little bit while, while living this crazy life on the road. And so I was doing a workout video at 1am at 1am. Cause that's when, <laughs> unlike you, you and I are the opposite. You get up really, really early and you're ready to go. And I'm at 1am. I'm at my, my brain is at its best. Oh so. man. I wish <laughs> that I could do that. Cause I would get a lot more work done at night. Anyways, go ahead. But I don't get things done at four, four or five a.m. <laughs> True. So it's, um, so anyway, I, I, my, my whole team was on the other side of this motel and I was kind of in a room that was on the other side of it. And all of a sudden I heard, um, I heard some yelling, some expletives, and then I heard some pops and it really took me a moment. I was kind of disoriented. It took me a moment to realize what had just happened. Um, and I, I ran to the bathroom. I called 911. I report, reported this shooting, which I had never thought I would, you know, ever, ever do something like that. Um, and it was awful, but the, the first responders came and the police officers that, that came to my door to speak with me, you know, about what had happened were so kind and gracious and, and helpful. And then people that knew that this had happened that I interacted with in, in the days thereafter, again, were just so kind and supportive and gracious and, made it, it, it was a bright spot in a, in a, in an awful thing. And, and also from what we could tell, nobody had been, um, had been injured mm-hmm. in this shooting. Um, and then a, a month or so later I was in South Carolina and I had some car trouble and I was running late for an event and, um, had pulled over the side of the road. I'd never had a car uh, stopped working before and, uh, while I was driving it. So again, another unusual thing that happened on the campaign trail and these lovely women from, uh, from Clemson, I was on Clemson university's campus came pulled over in a uh, golf cart. They worked at the Clemson botanical gardens and I was dressed nicely for this campaign event. And they, said, we're going to help you. We're going to get you gas. Don't you worry. I was on hold with AAA and they disappeared. They came back with this amazing guy who had a, a, a canister of uh, gasoline and they wouldn't let me try to fill it myself. They refused all of them because they said I was dressed too nicely and I had to get to this event and they weren't letting me do it. And so they all jumped in and, and got the, uh, the, the car to work. And, um, it was just, it was just amazing that complete strangers just kind of came to my rescue. And I, I was just really, really touched by that. Um, so, you know, while these negative things were going on in terms of big picture discourse and what was happening on Twitter and, and kind of seeing this lack of humanity in political conversation. I was also seeing incredible humanity across the country from people that didn't know me that, that were just being really, really, really kind. People always post this when something happens, but you know, the Mr. Rogers quote, look for the helpers. And I just, it's so good. And it's so timeless because when you do that kind of everything else disappears and all of our, 
sort of differences and disagreements disappear. And I think those kinds of situations that you just mentioned are just that. And it's something that we're not seeing enough of. I know you just interviewed on your podcast, Aaron Ruberry, who has that newsletter about, uh, what's it called? It's uh, in better news. In better news, where she's just only featuring these stories of good news and people helping people, and um, <clears throat> people love to share that stuff too. You see, when you're on Facebook, what goes viral oftentimes, um, in a good way, goes viral are these stories of goodness and helping, and um, nobody's talking about what party or who they voted for. Um, so I think that's true. But at the same time, you know, we're we're hungering for those kind of stories because there is such a divide sometimes on some of these issues. I mean, do you think that tw- the 2016 election did that um, in terms of the divide? Or did you see civility and dialogue change um, in your surroundings in that election? I think that 2016 was a symptom to a problem. I don't think it it, it, it sometimes felt like it came out of nowhere, but it didn't come out of nowhere. And I think seeing the number of people that were willing to, um, to just get so nasty so quickly, it, uh, it almost, it almost created an environment that that became a free pass. And, you know, po- politics is politics. It's not, unfortunately, there's always going to be a component of politics that is that way. And, some of some of 2016 has existed in the past, but the level of um, disrespect and lack of civility just, I think, really reached a new height. And I think that's in part because of um, you know something a, a tool like Twitter can have a wonderful um, can be wonderful, but it also can enable this kind of behavior to just exacerbate and and become such rapid fire and go so quick that um, I think it contributed to the problem. So I don't think that 2016 completely changed this world, this political world, but I do think that we are at a point right now where if you're someone who, who isn't very political, who wants to focus on your family and your life, it's, it's gotten a lot harder to, um, to live without getting pushed into taking a stand on a divisive issue. And one of the things that I, I, learned in creating sanity was that 110 million people, about a third of the country ended a friendship as a result of the election. And I think that that is absolutely incredibly depressing because we're now seeing friendships and relationships disappear because of our political environment. And there are people that are really working hard to try to do something about it. And that's what sanity is all about. It's an outlet to try to spotlight some of those kinds of stories. Um, I was at a, at a Chick-fil-A, uh, somewhat recently and struck up a conversation with a a young couple that was, uh, was, was sitting near me and the wife had been a caseworker and she's currently a nurse and she told me essentially that that her um, 
her boss and one of her coworkers had kind of forced her into exposing her or sharing her beliefs on a kind of a hot button uh, political issue. And she really didn't want to do it. She wanted to just have a good relationship with her coworkers and her opinion on this, on this issue was differing from that of her, her coworker. And she told me that ever since they had that conversation, her coworker hasn't spoken to her and she's a nurse. So if you have a coworker and you're a nurse who's not speaking to you because of your political beliefs, I mean, that's not, that's not just disappointing because it's a relationship gone, gone by the wayside, but it's also dangerous for patients. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think you're, I think you make, you made a point that is something that has definitely changed in the past couple of years that I, I really dislike. And that is that you must have an opinion. You must take a stand. Um, and you're supposed to take a stand very quickly these days. And if you don't, sometimes you're demonized. And if you don't, then people start to make judgments about you and assumptions about you. And, um, I mean, it makes you understand why some people, um, have the gall not to be on social media because then you, you know, you know, you're not judged in that way necessarily, but I I've seen so many examples of this where people will say, well, you know, so-and-so posted about this, but they didn't say anything about this. So that must mean this. And there's all these assumptions flying around, um, and all this, um, kind of conversation that doesn't include all the perspectives and all the facts. And um, we are forced to to answer for things that have nothing to do with us. Um, mm-hmm. But then our character and who we are is judged by maybe one small thing we might say about it. And I think that has been bad for um, for everyone. Because it. I think that does kind of strip away the humanity in a way of of why we believe what we believe or you know, certain personality types, um, or what somebody's been through. Um, it's just so, there are just so many layers to why people come to the conclusions that they do about really important issues. And I really don't like being forced to take a stand on something, um, and then being judged for taking what, you know, for whatever that stance may be. Um, do you feel like that's, that's true? Oh, I do. I think, I'm thinking of the red hen again, because the restaurant owner, just about every national news outlet tried to get her to take a side on what was happening. Right. And she, I think really admirably refused to do that. And that was, that took a lot of strength and courage on her part because everyone was, was trying to get her to, to, to be, um, to be partisan or to be, to take this strong stance. And she said repeatedly, you know, I, I run a restaurant. I'm here to help people celebrate the best times in their life to come together to, you know, if they're finding a difficult time and they need a a night out, that's what I'm here for. And that's what her passion is. Her passion is feeding people and making them feel warm and welcome. And, and I really respect that. I mean, I, I think that there's a, there's a point in which some things all people need to get involved in and, and take a stance on because, you know, you look at an extreme situation, but something like the Holocaust and, and, and the rise of somebody like Hitler and the actual human death, millions of people that died, you know, so yes, there's a point where 
we as, as decent people need to stand up for what is right. But in the world we're in right now, that every single issue, every single thing that happens, every single issue is the hill that you're supposed to die on. Exactly. Exactly. And it's like, you can't, you can't do that in real life. Exactly. Exactly. So there's a line. I don't, I think like many other things, there's gray and there's nuance, but we're just at this point right now where, um, that expectation is, 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 is part of the problem. Yeah. Um, so now you, you're, you're heading up sanity. Do you have people that are working with you? And also, you know, you mentioned some, uh, you mentioned someone that started move on and some more moderate types of folks. Do people have hesitancy of working with you because you have a history of working for the GOP if they're coming from a different background? You know, I, I have really not found that. Um, if anything, maybe I've, I've, found it a little bit in, on the other, uh, in the other direction. Oh, like people, um, conservatives don't want to work with you? Well, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that, but I think, um, it, it's funny. I have, I've developed friendships with people who, who worked in uh, more on the left in politics and now have become much more, much more passionate and active about what people are doing to try to bridge divides mm-hmm. and, uh, their takeaways are almost the complete opposite where there's, they're very, very embraced and welcomed, um, more on the right, uh, than they are on the left. So I, I would moderate types of people you're saying, I'm sorry. Are you saying people that are more moderate, middle, middle, middle of the road lefties? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, That makes sense. I can see that. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, but I think, I think that just we're in a climate right now that is very, um, I think everyone is still to a degree trying to find their footing or at least people who are pragmatic right of center or left of center are still kind of trying to figure out what, what path forward in a world that seems to be coming more and more and more polarized. What is the the path forward for them? So yeah, work in that, um, part of my work in that space is, uh, this fall I launched with, um, I helped launch with Carrie Healy, who was Mitt Romney's Lieutenant governor in Massachusetts, uh, this event that we put together called millions in the middle. And we invited and brought together a, a really interesting range of voices that are really passionate about these issues and are trying to, um, create a, a path forward for people who right now feel very much like they don't have a place to belong and what should they do? So we've had uh, governor John Hickenlooper, the, the former uh, governor of Colorado, who I have a lot of respect for, from my, from my Kasich time, um, to folks like Bill Crystal and, and Evan McMullen and that, that kind of world and, and people that also work in kind of the good government, um, space, that are, that are trying to tackle some of the issues like break choice voting, gerrymandering, that sort of thing. Um, so I think that there's, there is a lot of area for synergy. And I think that like everything else in life, when you can build an individual relationship and a friendship and a human relationship, that's an incredibly powerful gateway to finding more common ground, um, in more specific areas. And so that's definitely in, in building sanity and, and, and working on some other things that are in this kind of general space. 
that I have seen. Yeah, I think what I've found, and I'm I'm really with you. Um, I I'm definitely conservative, but I would say moderate conservative, I guess, um, and certainly open to talking to people of all kinds and love conversations. And I'm a big fan of the old, the whole idea of the intellectual dark dark web, which mm-hmm. you you probably are familiar with, and I. I love listening to people who will talk to other people. Like I even actually one of my favorite shows to watch every week is Bill Maher. And Mm. um, even though I I really get angry and yell at the TV usually um, (laughs) because he has people on there that I really can't can't stand their opinions, but I still listen to them. And like I I I understand where they're coming from by listening to them. You know what I mean? And um, I think it's such a tough place like being moderate and trying to foster support for that and trying to say compromise, compromise isn't a dirty word. I mean, that is, that's something that I have seen. I don't know as much about the left, but I know on the right, especially with the conservative activists, compromise kind of is a dirty word to them. And, um, and it's so, and it's hard to like create a movement when you're not being highly partisan. And that's, that's, that's the Uh sad part because like working in digital media, I've seen, um, I, 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 I know how to make things go viral. Like I know how to word something so that people get angry. Um, because unfortunately that's what people glom onto on both sides. Uh Um, and like I saw Howard Schultz, you know, is, is running for president or I don't know if he, did he really truly announce, or was that just a? He was uh, it was it? more of a uh, dipping the toe. Okay. Yeah. So thing. he says he's going to be a a centrist independent, and I feel like people hear that and they're just like womp womp, like that's not going to work. And mm-hmm. so I guess I guess when you're thinking about these issues, how do you think we get people to get excited about? working across the aisle how do we how do we get um optimistic and positive about knowing that we're going to be working together with people we disagree with but we but ultimately we're going to be actually moving forward i share uh, an anecdote that i think kind of speaks to this that does erica marry my my passions of, of food and politics <laughs> um i i was speaking with someone who was opening a restaurant and I was talking with him about how he developed his menu. And he said to me that he went out to the community where, where this restaurant was going to be located and asked people that lived there and worked around there. What, what are you missing? What would you like to see in a restaurant? And the vast majority of people said to him healthier options. And so he took that and built this menu that um, had a lot of healthier options on it. But he'd also built this beautiful brick uh, hearth oven and, and makes flatbread pizzas in it. And anyway, the restaurant opens and far, far and away, the most popular items on the menu are the pizzas and the burgers <laughs> and the fries and no one's ordering the healthier options. So I often say, you know, people do order Brussels sprouts with bacon and maple syrup. And, you know, but they look forward to it. I mean, I I know I can I know numerous people who don't generally enjoy eating vegetables that genuinely love eating that dish. And 
I think that the challenge is when you, when you're passionate about finding common ground and about enacting solutions that require everyone to work across the aisle and, and therefore likely make some concessions in order to get something that actually can be successful and work. It, it does require some compromise and it's much more nuanced. It's not a headline filled with anger and vitriol that's going to go viral. And so it is, it is very difficult. It's, this is not an easy thing to, um, to work towards. And I think that, um, it's there, there at the same time, there are more people in this country who identify as being independent than identify as being Republican or Democrat. And the rationale is people don't, there are more people in this country who do not want to be labeled as a Republican or as a Democrat than there are people who do. And those people are often forgotten about because the loudest voices in the room are often those that are most extreme because that's the most TV worthy soundbite. And it's the most retweetable tweet. It's the most, you know, it, so it, it isn't an easy thing, but what kind of fuels me and keeps me going is meeting people like this wonderful young woman who I met during the government shutdown at the Miami international airport who works for TSA, who was there working without a paycheck for weeks and she saw a, a copy of a book that I was reading that um, uh, that was kind of about all of this, th- this kind of conversation. And she started skimming it kind of while she was looking through my, my bag because it had been it had been flagged to be to be checked. And she looked at me and she looked at the book. She looked at me and she kind of confessed to me that she'd wanted to spend her dream had always been to spend her career working in for the federal government and pursuing a career in service. And that now she doesn't feel like that's necessarily the path she wants her life to go. Cause she doesn't understand what the heck is going on. And she said to me, she, she used to lean right and she kind of does, but she doesn't know what that means anymore. And that, um, you know, amidst the shutdown, she just was like, they're playing politics with, with lives like mine and my family's. And anyway, I told her a little bit about my background and about sanity. And she, um, she just smiled and said that it's like hearing other people also concerned about this gave her a lot of hope and that she needed that. So for me, people like that are the ones that are too often forgotten in the political conversation. And those kinds of people deserve to have their stories told too. Can you tell us what the book was? Uh, yes, it was, um, it was Max Boots latest book. Oh uh, yeah. The corrosion of conservatism. I haven't read that. And I actually don't really know much about him. Like I had not really heard of him until somewhat recently. And then I was like, Oh, this guy used to be conservative and now he's not like, okay. I don't really, not sure how I feel about that. (laughs) Well, you know, it's this, it's just, it's such a weird, this, we're in a very weird time. I think that I, I, I'm very curious to see how, how things will, will play out in, in 2024. Yeah. 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 We got to get past 
2021. Well, we do, we do, but <laughs> I'm more excited about whatever, you know, we need to, I think, you know, the change takes time and, um, we're in a, we'll see. We, we do, we have to get through 2021. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think that places like Sanity, places like the champion women that I'm doing, and there's also, I'm looking into some other places that are really kind of trying to foster conversation and offer a place or a home for people that feel like they don't have a place in either party. Um, for example, like the Steamboat Institute uh, that mm-hmm. I do some work for, they're hosting these debates on college campuses between polar opposites on really big issues. Like they're trying to, they're about to do a debate on socialism versus capitalism with two people that have differing viewpoints on that. And I love that they're doing that. And I want to see more people that are doing things like that and giving a place and a platform to people that don't want to, you know, find their identity in GOP.com or DCCC.com. And I think the more, and I think this is good, like sanity is good. I think Champion Women is good. And and many of these other places that I'm going to mention in this, in this piece that I'm working on, um, and the more of those places that we have, I think the more people will rec- realize they exist. I think a lot of people don't even know they exist at this point. And so I think that's good movement towards moderation and conversation. And so I, I'm optimistic about that. Um, do you have any role models or people or organizations that you look to um, as kind of a guidebook for what you're looking to do? I, I do. I think that there there are some voices that have tried to figure out uh, how to navigate kind of post-2016. And I do say post-2016 a lot because I do think that the political world and the country kind of changed uh, and shifted as a result of of that election. Um, But I I admire Susan Collins, a senator from Maine. I think she um, is somebody who really looks at individual issues, does – ask the right questions, reads, is thoughtful, and and forms um, an opinion based on really weighing fact uh, instead of being quick to form judgment, um, which in today's world is not is not always celebrated, but I think that that's a, a good virtue um, to have. I, I always enjoy reading David Brooks' columns in, in the New York Times, and I think he does a good job about thinking about humanity and compassion and, and human beings and beliefs and emotions and how those things kind of influence our political discourse. Um, and I, like I said, I worked for John Kasich and, and like, like governor Hickenlooper's, um, approach, he was a businessman and he, um, he started a really, really successful brewery in Colorado long before that was the hip thing to do. And, only got involved in politics because he um, saw how local politics was impacting his business, not not all for the uh, for the better, and saw that excessive regulation sometimes uh, can really hurt job creation. That's so, why John Kasich got involved in politics. Uh, uh, Hickenlooper. Oh, Hickenlooper. Governor Hickenlooper. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Got and. It. Um, so I, I, I think that people who have interesting life stories, um, and have the ability to, to not 
immediately respond and think, you know, more carefully about things. Those are people I really respect a lot. And I guess I'd also say I, I really, I like, I admire Ingus King, um, an independent from Maine. I don't always agree with him. He, he tends to, to vote, uh, in caucus with, he caucuses with the Democrats, but, um, I really admire the way that he communicates. And one of my very best friends, uh, has been a close friend since I was 16 and she is, uh, she's, she's on the left and works in, has spent most of her career working in Democrat politics. Um, so we sometimes have to agree to disagree and, and, and hit pause, but we both have always really admired, uh, the way that Angus King shares his opinion and perspective on things. His Instagram, uh, posts are, are quite lovely. Um, and again, I don't always agree with him, but I, I enjoy hearing his perspective. And then I guess the last person I'd mention, uh, who is not a political person at all, um, is Deb Perlman, who is a, um, a food blogger who writes Smitten Kitchen, which is probably my favorite, uh, maybe my favorite website because it's <laughs> always about food and rarely, rarely ever about politics. But I think she's somebody who, um, who has kind of taken the high road in not getting divisive and political on her site, but at the same time expressing herself with respect and decency and compassion while keeping the focus on food and finding community around recipes, recipe development and, and food in general. Does she, um, does she, are you saying that she comments on issues like on other social media she she doesn't really. I think that she. I, I, I see a lot of people in the food world getting more political mm-hmm. and um, sometimes about food, but then sometimes not at all about food. And she doesn't really do that. She she really I think she really respects the wide range of people that appreciate her recipes and her site. And I think she's really made a conscious decision to not alienate people and to not make them feel lesser than her right if you know their viewpoints were different so even though it's clear what her viewpoint is she won't she's she does not um she doesn't push it on you she doesn't you know i i admire that um you know you'd think okay well food politics why would these things intersect and sometimes they do but i think she's just um she's developed a, a healthy, positive online community that is only about food. And I think that's something that I know I appreciate. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like we don't have to bring it into everything. Some mm-hmm. people feel like they must, or it is their duty as a human being to bring a political issue into all the things. But, um, I don't think that you need to do that. And I certainly know who Smitten Kitchen is. I have followed her in the past as well. And I know she has a couple of cookbooks out there. She um, does. She, um, you, you'd asked about what I had started in the food world and oh yeah, uh, I, I started a food magazine in college that, that, um, was the first national food magazine for college students. And it was a blast. And we had about 60 schools all over the country, but Deb was one of the first people that, uh, that we got to interview. She and I went to the same college and, um, and I was able to actually interview her with her mom uh, when she was in DC for her first cookbook tour. And oh, I see. So much fun. That's cool. That's cool. Um, now, did you do anything between? What did you do after the magazine? Did you go straight to campaign stuff after that? 
Um, so I, when I, I graduated, um, in December, a, a little early, and immediately went to work for Kathy McMorris Rogers. I had oh, that's right, her that's right. And then worked for her um, as her press secretary. Kathy McMorris Rogers, you guys, she's pretty up there in terms of women in leadership and government. <laughs> I'm also a big fan of hers. Um, okay, now sanity seems to focus on positivity, as we've kind of mentioned. Are there what are like a, and we're getting towards the end here, but what are maybe three words that you would use to describe your mission with sanity? Decency, community, and fun. Okay, I, I think, like that. Sorry, I sprung uh, that on you. <laughs> no, I know it took me a moment to, to think of them, but yeah, decency, community, and fun. I think you know, the, the, the logo is an ostrich with its head in the sand. It's a little quirky. It's a little, a little, mm-hmm. a little tongue in cheek. In fact, maybe I would say decency, community and quirky, quirky. Um, because this is, it is kind of a quirky combination of people that we've had on so far. And I'm a little quirky and I think, I think quirky is, is much more interesting. It's likable. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's, there's an endearingness to the ostrich, I think. Yes. And, uh, you know, there's, there, you have to have a little bit of fun in the, in, in the process. Yes. Make fun cool again. Okay. couple of questions for the end of the podcast. Um, actually I wasn't going to ask this, but I think I'm going to, because I heard it on another podcast and you're a food person. So if we came into your, if I came into your house and you didn't have a, like you hadn't just gone to the store, what are like three to four items that you always have that you would never be without in your kitchen? Well, my last name is Scagnelli. So that's, <laughs> that's pretty easy. I always have the ingredients to make a really good tomato sauce. That's a, that's a guarantee. Uh, one of my first words in life ever was seltzer. I think it was like number three. <laughs> so I always have some seltzer on hand. Um, not always. They don't last, but there are these little crispy chocolate chip cookies at Trader Joe's that are sold in big tubs. Mm, um, I know exactly I, the ones you're talking do about. You? Yeah. I, I do not I don't really buy them because I... I'll oh, chocolate chip like cookies day. is not even... I can't have those in my home. <laughs> yeah. They're... they're my, my best friends from college, we always get... We, we all get each other them for Christmas every year, so we always know what's, <laughs> what is coming. Um, <laughs> So I, I have them occasionally, but when I do, they're they're quite good. But I'd say, yeah, tomato sauce, seltzer, <laughs> and chocolate. sometimes chocolate chip cookies. Okay. Uh, do you have do you have a book that you've recently read that you could recommend, or a favorite podcast or TV show? I just like to hear people's kind of like what you're loving right now stuff. You know, this used to be one of my very favorite TV shows. I haven't seen it in years, but I was just thinking about it. I want to revisit it and see um, see what it would, how it's aged. Um, which is K Street. So mm. it was a, it was a, um, it was kind of this really interesting. It was an HBO show made in the early 2000s. This definitely is kind of weird and quirky and wonky of me, but it was a kind of fictional, kind of non-fictional um, show about James Carville and Mary Madeline. And so, oh, really, for those who aren't, 
Yeah. So for those who weren't are not familiar, um, James Carville is a um, huge powerhouse in the Democratic Party and uh, was was I think the lead strategist for um, for Bill Clinton when he was running for president. Um, and then his wife, Mary Matlin, is a political consultant who um, who worked under Reagan and uh, I think led George H.W. Bush's campaign um, and worked for uh, George W. Bush as well. So they're married and they um, they're just a fascinating duo. And they had this show and I, I really have not seen it in years and years. But um, I was just thinking of it, and I used to just love it, and um, it would be kind of fun to go back and see if I can find it online somewhere. Um, I don't know if it's on. Sounds maybe it's on interesting. HBO's I like this. You're you're keeping on with your trend of bipartisanship. <laughs> <laughs> I am. It's it's an on theme, uh, <laughs> but but you know, in a totally different one. When I'm sometimes uh, really disappointed in in uh, the days the day's news or the political world. I do. I've always loved the show monk, uh, mm. which has Tony Shalhoub, who's now back in the, back in the game with, um, the marvelous Mrs. Nasal show on Amazon. Mm. But monk is a show about an OCD endearing detective. It's very quirky and it's a very sweet show. I have not seen it. I've heard of it, but I haven't. Have you, besides the book that you mentioned by Max Boot, any books that you've read recently or any other podcasts that you've been listening to that you would want to recommend? Uh, there is a book by Doris Kearns Goodwin uh, that she wrote a couple of years ago that's called The Bully Pulpit. Mm-hmm. And it's about uh, Teddy Roosevelt and Taft and this really interesting uh relationship that they had over really the course of their lives. It it shifts, it changes. Um, but it's really interesting. And I think that it is, uh, it's fairly timely today. So I really recommend that one. Awesome. Well, my last question is who is a celebrity that you would want to have drinks with and why? Well, I, I really am a big Tony Shalhoub fan. So yeah, (laughs) He, he was actually, he was in Boston uh, last year and, and I, I was going to see him and something came up. I wasn't able to, um, to meet him, but I think he's, he's a great actor. I've always, uh, enjoyed him, uh, quite a bit. And all right, Audrey, well, thank you so much for indulging us with your time and your thoughts today on today's political climate. I think it's interesting and I hope more people are interested in, reaching across the aisle and having conversations with people they disagree with. And as I said on your podcast, remembering the humanity of the other person and um, recognizing that most of us at our core have good intentions for the things that we're standing up for, um, even if you may disagree with the other side. So thank you so much for, uh, for coming on today. Well, thanks for tuning into the episode today. If you're loving the podcast, I really hope that you'll head over to iTunes, leave us a rating and review. It really takes only about 30 seconds and it helps so much. I'd love to see a couple more of those roll in today. Please check out sanitymedia.com if you enjoyed this conversation with Audrey and I will see you next Tuesday. Bye. This episode was brought to you in part by the Truce Podcast. 
The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.